It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, and joining me today, a guest from The Ringer, one of my favorite football writers, Robert Mays. Robert, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, the, the reason I wanted to bring Robert on is because he's a Chicago guy, and uh, I know you write about the league at large, but I was thinking about this the other day, about the most interesting off-seasons for any NFL teams. This sort of connects with also teams that I'm having trouble figuring out where they're going to go, if they're going to be really good, if they're going to be really bad, if they're going to be somewhere in the middle. And what the team that I kept coming back to was the Chicago Bears. So where I want to start with this conversation, Robert, is just with the quarterback position. Because last year, I think Mitch Trubisky was given the Jeff Fisher treatment of sorts, where he had an older coach that was kind of in over his head at this point with not a great supporting cast. And then they made all sorts of changes, which we'll get to. But from Trubisky last year, did you think that he showed enough promise to be the Jared Goff this year that could take a big step forward. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the numbers, he was better than Jared Goff as a rookie. And I think that you're on the right track. I think their supporting cast and their general infrastructure was about as terrible. I mean, that's the thing. So if it was as bad on every other level and he actually performed better, if you assume that the Bears have surrounded him with a lot more this year, whether it's coaching staff, talent, everything, to make a jump, I, I think that that comparison is totally fair. So with, with Trubisky, he's always been an interesting guy to me because he sort of shot up the draft board. I was a little bit stunned that he was taken over Deshaun Watson, who you know leads a game-winning drive against Alabama in the national championship game. You would have thought if there was anything that could put you up to that top pick for Deshaun Watson, it would have been that game. And Trubisky was kind of the guy who was hanging out. Uh, he was like the Blaine Gabbard or the Blake Bortles that you get to draft season and then you hear this guy's a top pick. You're like, who? Wait, I watch college football all year and I never heard of this guy, more or less. And so last year, you know, he shows some progress, but I wonder about what his ceiling might be or if he would be the the type of quarterback that was on the level of some of the quarterback prospects of this year and how good you think he might be based on his skill set. 
I like his skill set. I mean, watching him last year, there were so many just elements of who he is as a quarterback that were encouraging to me. He moves very well. He throws well on the run. He places the ball well outside the pocket. He gets rid of it very quickly. So, I mean, there's nothing about his game that you look at it and you're like, man, that guy just is hopeless. And there's nothing you could change about your roster, your staff, your general support system that's going to get this guy to a place where you want to go. I feel like there's a lot to be excited about with him. I just think, with, you know, for most quarterbacks in the NFL, they're in a tier where they need help. Very few quarterbacks can succeed independent of everything else that's going on or even be relatively useful without some real help. And I think that's what you're going to see this year. Is he the guy with that help that you can be excited about moving forward? I don't have the answer to that yet, but from what I saw last year, I think it might be yes. As an offshoot to that, before I get to kind of some other parts of the Bears that intrigue me, is this the best group of quarterbacks that has ever played in the NFL from top to bottom? Because I think about just the NFC alone. Almost every single team either has a quarterback they just drafted who could be really good, like a Josh Rosen, or... A, a star, an established star player, or someone who's on the rise like Mitch Trubisky. I remember, and this is from years and years of playing Madden football games, of just where, <laughs> like, you'd always pick a team that had a bad quarterback so you could draft the quarterback the next year and you'd tank the first season, right? Um, or at least I did that. But but I l- look around and, like, which team would you pick that you wouldn't want their quarterback situation? There's only a couple in the league right now. It seems like this is the best quarterbacking maybe we've ever seen. I don't know if it's the best quarterbacking we've ever seen. I know it's the most answers I've ever seen at quarterback. Hmm. If you ask a team, what is your quarterback plan? I think about 29 of them have a very solid answer. And that comes from a few different places. One, I think it's because quarterbacks are able to play longer and just hold on. You know, you have more guys playing into their late 30s and playing well into that period of their career. So you have, the, you know, the Brady, Breeze, you know, the 2004 guys. So you have that group, and then you have so many more young guys coming into the league. So every team has an answer. The th- three teams I'd say that don't really, or they're not good ones, are probably Jacksonville, Miami, and Denver. I mean, those are the teams like, okay, Case Keenum, Ryan Tannehill, and Blake Bortles are your quarterbacks. Like, that's not something you like to hear. Everyone else, you could convince me that some thought went into what you wanted to do with quarterback. I was also thinking about maybe the Bengals and Giants as teams that don't yeah. really know what they're doing there. This is they're playing out the Dalton string in Cincinnati. I mean, and that's obviously true, but I think that their quarterback, their long-term quarterback outlook is not very good. And I would say the same thing is true for the Giants. I mean, the fact that they eschewed a chance to take a quarterback in the top five and just said, hey, we'll roll with Eli again and see what happens. I don't love that. So, yeah, I, I would throw those two into the bottom five as well. I'm sorry. They're rolling with Davis Webb. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, Davis Webb or Kyle Loletta. Those are the two options. Yeah, I kind of liked Loletta a little bit, but only as, like, you know, the guy you sort of see on YouTube and you're like, oh, he made a couple good throws. But I'm not sure he has really the NFL arm. The Broncos, that you bring up the Broncos is interesting, too, because – the same thing, like them passing on one of these quarterbacks, specifically Rosen, a few teams passing on Rosen, but not drafting a quarterback for the Broncos was really weird to me too. Like, are they really buying Case Keenum as their long-term guy? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, you go get a guy like Case Keenum, and I think just to have some competency and know it going into the draft, and that's the unfortunate part of free agency happening before the draft does. But, yeah, I don't – it's the same thing that Arizona did with Sam Bradford, except Arizona drafted Josh Rosen. Right. I think they understand that you only get so much out of that stopgap guy. So 
you know, we'll see. Maybe the Broncos will be bad again, but that's kind of the problem when you go this route. And I think it's kind of going to be the problem with the Giants as well is that the rest of their team might be too good for them to end up in the top five. Mm -hmm. And that's the concern is that did you do too much elsewhere? Is Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, a defense with a couple solid pieces on it and a refurbished offensive line enough to win you seven, eight games? The answer might be yes. And for the Giants, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing considering Eli may be done after next season. It's kind of like some of these teams did what the Vikings have done for their entire history. Like the Broncos is a good example. Like let's find a guy from someone else's team who can just fill the spot, but we're actually too good to get the high draft pick. So the quarterbacks we draft end up being, although Bridgewater was working out before his knee, but you know, you're Christian ponders. You never get the best quarterback because you're always filling that spot with someone mildly competent, like Warren moon, for example. (laughs) You know, it's interesting just because this is such a cause and effect situation. Like, think about the the Washington with the Vikings, with the Broncos, everything else. Just kind of how was the domino effect? If the Chiefs don't draft Patrick Mahomes last year, mm-hmm. they probably don't feel comfortable about getting rid of Alex Smith. And if Alex Smith wouldn't have been available via trade, would the Redskins have been as comfortable getting rid of Cousins, which would have meant what, how, how would the Vikings have felt about letting Case Keenum go? All of this stuff has this interconnected tissue that makes it very interesting. Like the what if kind of how one thing leads to another is always fun to kind of look back at. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to play the um, Tangled Webs We Weave game, it's really fun with Teddy Bridgewater's knee injury. Yes, just like, yes. I don't think the Philadelphia it's the only fun Eagles... thing about Teddy Bridgewater's knee injury. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but like, do the Eagles start Carson Wentz right away, or does Sam Bradford start? And do they ever acquire Nick Foles, who ends up winning the Super Bowl? So it kind of like it's it's one of my favorite sport parts of sports in general is just how many of those games you could play. But um, you know, well, the it... idea that we've anointed Howie Roseman as this genius, which he he did a very good job building that team, but the amount of money they had tied up in quarterback before that season began, there's no guarantee that a Teddy Bridgewater-type injury is going to happen for you to unload Sam Bradford for a first-round pick. So there's a chance you're just sitting there playing Sam Bradford double-digit millions while you spent the second overall pick on Carson Wentz. So a lot of stuff needs to happen for guys to look smart. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting, too, because with Sam Bradford getting netting a first-round pick, I mean – only a team in the Vikings' exact situation could you ever justify that because they exactly. had gone eleven and five and they looked like a legit Super Bowl contender. Uh, they didn't know that all their offensive linemen were going to get hurt within the first five weeks. Uh, but there, there were maybe what the, like two, three teams who would have had a good enough supporting cast to say, "Oh yeah, we should really go get Sam Bradford, who's never really had a lot of success, but has talent." And also, they had to have Pat Shermer there too. Because I, I got the idea that Pat Shermer kind of talked them into Sam Bradford because he'd worked with them before. So what a fun game. Um, can I swing back to uh, the Bears a little bit? And Let's do it. We always their, can. Yeah, some of the supporting cast, which I go anywhere you want with any of this because that's that's the most fun. Um, but the, the wide receiving core last year was kind of a mess. And Kendall Wright ends kinda. up being like their, okay, a super mess. Um, but Kendall Wright is like their best receiver and he was not even practicing with the first team with the Vikings in minicamp. So, um, where do they stand now as far as Allen Robinson, 
Uh, Taylor Gabriel, who I like, the, the guy they drafted, the wide receiver of Memphis, Anthony Miller, I thought was one of the best receivers out there. And then adding Trey Burton, I, I feel like they didn't just get a bit better. They got like leaps and bounds and way better to where I really like this supporting cast now. You could argue that it's the most improved position group in the entire NFL mm-hmm. from, from the start of the offseason to right now. I think that's an easy one to make. Yeah, it, it changes the complexion of the entire team. I mean, the idea that now you have a group that can actively help your quarterback instead of actively hurting him. And obviously that starts with Robinson. He's one of my favorite receivers in the league while healthy. Hmm. And the idea that they could go get him for a similar price to, I mean, for way less than Sammy Watkins got, for not that much more than the Jags had to pay to keep Marquise Lee. I understand he's coming off that ACL, but a lot of guys have come back from ACL injuries at this point. You know, it's not a career ender. So I just feel like they bought low on him to a certain degree. And if he's anything like he was at his height in Jacksonville, they're going to get, in my opinion, one of the best five or six receivers in the entire league. So did, and then – Sorry, go ahead. Up? Oh, I mean, that's just the beginning. And, and then you kind of supplement that with everything else. I mean, I'll be curious to see what kind of role Burton plays. In my opinion, they're going to use a lot of multiple tight end sets. Mm-hmm. You look at Kansas City last year, they were through the ball out of 13 personnel more than any other team in the league. So the Chiefs really like to put a big personnel package out there and then throw in order to kind of play with tendency a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the Bears have Burton. Adam Shaheen will be an inline guy. They still have Deion Sims. So I think you're going to see a lot of big personnel packages for them to throw the ball. And then, again, Miller and Gabriel. It's just the idea of how far of a departure it is from what, what they had last year, it's kind of hard to process. I love that you bring up the multiple tight end sets because it's something that Pat Shermer did really effectively here in Minnesota last year. And I was looking at Kirk Cousins numbers and they kind of are paired with the play action numbers. But when he has more than one tight end in they you know, they had uh, Jordan Reed there and they had good tight ends. So, but, his numbers are fantastic. And the same thing went for Matt Ryan a couple of years ago when he was the MVP. Do you think that eventually defenses are going to figure out when teams throw out two tight ends, they're not always going to run the football and you don't have to put in your three linebackers. Like it isn't required by law that you put in your three linebackers. If they have two tight ends in there, I feel like they're going to adjust at some point to this because it's working for a number of teams. I think it'll come back around a little bit. I also think that overall, if you look at just the amount of time teams spend in those personnel groupings, it isn't that much. Even if they're throwing the ball more consistently while they use them, it's still a small percentage of their overall game plan. Still, Teams are still going to be in 11 and personnel groupings like that close to 50% of the time. Even if it's not like 85, like mm-hmm. it was for the Giants a couple of years ago when they were one of the least creative offenses in football <laughs> – it's still going to be a bigger chunk than your 12 and your 13. And teams only have a certain amount of practice time. And you're going to use that on the stuff you're going to see the most often. So the reality is defenses just aren't practicing as much against those personnel groups. So if you have a variety of things you can do from that, some of the same concepts you can run out of 11, but you're just dressing it up differently, defenses are always going to be less prone to understand when stuff is coming out of those groups. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I feel like um, the what the, what will eventually happen is kind of the linebacker position will shift, not exactly for how much it's used, but who gets the job, right? I mean, when I was growing up, what you wanted was like Chris Spielman. You know, you wanted this guy who just would wreck any running back coming through, could plow over fullbacks, 
And now I feel like someone like Roquan Smith for the Bears is a perfect example of a guy who is so athletic, so quick, uh, and can cover. That is the type of linebacker that's going to be coveted because of how offenses are playing now. Absolutely. And I think that you're going to see smaller, quicker coverage linebackers that can't be exploited with pass, just like pass catching, playmaking, kind of personnel mismatches, if that makes sense. So you look at what New England does. There are so many times where they'll have groups out there where the goal is to get a James White or a Rex Burkhead alone against a linebacker. And I think more and more teams are going to have smaller linebackers as their third one in order to just make those matchups completely useless. They're going to negate those out of the – right. just just nip them in the butt, I think is going to be the move. So that's what Roquan Smith does. Just like, okay, fine. If you want to play – personnel and everything else and try to get us in you know vulnerable positions against certain pass catching personnel packages fine because we're not scared of that anymore because of the linebackers we have on the field what you mentioned with uh, new england doing that i feel like that's a kansas city thing too and with matt Nagy coming to the bears it, it definitely has the feel of a sean mcveigh to the rams i mean there's no way not to make that comparison from just going from an antiquated sort of old-timey coach and offense to now very modern where, uh, you know, Kansas City was incredible at getting guys in space with Tariq Hill and Kareem Hunt. And I feel like they could kind of have a another version of that is what we're going to see in Chicago. So when the Vikings are playing this team, I think it's going to feel way, way different as far as what's being thrown at them from over the last few years under John Fox. I agree. I just feel like we should hesitate to anoint people as the next Matt Nagy or as the next John McVay or say that that's mm-hmm. a replicable situation. I feel like we aren't appreciating enough just how hard it is for McVay to do what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the control we had over that locker room, his talent as a play caller, his feel for it. You know, Matt Nagy only has half a season as the primary play caller for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He's still very new at this. So while I hope that's true, like I really do. I'm still kind of pumping the brakes a little bit. Maybe that's just years and years and years of Bears pain that's <laughs> informing this year. Yeah. But I I think that the ceiling is there, but I'm not ready to say it's just going to happen. So what's interesting about the um, Sean McVay point you bring up, when he was on a conference call with us before the Vikings-Rams game, he mentioned – we asked him like how he won over the locker room as such a young coach, and I'm sure he got that question a thousand times. But he mentioned that he had kind of put Andrew Whitworth in charge in a way, that yeah. he had used Andrew Whitworth and some of the veteran players. I feel like that was brilliant for him to do that. Instead of going there, we hear so many times of guys going there and screaming, we need to work harder, change the culture, be louder and angrier. Instead, it was, I'm going to get the veterans to to buy into me, and I'm going to use them as resources and communicate with the locker room that way. I thought that was a really smart approach by him because I I was listening to Joe Thomas's podcast about, he was talking about having all the different coaches who every time they got a coach fired, the next guy came in and said, you guys didn't work hard enough. (laughs) Like, don't think that was it. Um, anyway, Robert, where, where did the Bears fit in? So, I mean, this NFC North is a nightmare, I think, with the Vikings adding Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers coming back and Detroit. I'm not sure where exactly they fit into things. I still think that they're kind of a 9-7 and seven type team. 
does that leave the bears as, Hey, maybe they could shock everybody and be right up there at the end, or it's still going to be a little bit too hard considering the competition. I feel like as a team and, and the way you'd normally look at the quality of their roster, they're a fringe wildcard team. Mm-hmm. The problem is that those things don't happen in a vacuum. So you're looking at an NFC where are the 49ers a fringe wildcard team? Where do where does Carolina and Atlanta and New Orleans sit? You know, are is a team in the NFC East going to maybe be a fringe wildcard team? So it's very hard for me to say like, oh well, they'll go 10 and six. Like that's how much better they're going to be, and that'll probably get them a wild card. In this NFC, I just don't think that's necessarily guaranteed, but I still feel like if things break a certain way, they can be a 9 or 10 win team. I really do believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could see, I mean, anytime there's an injury that can swing things one way or another. I'm not sure the Vikings are 13-3 and three if uh, Aaron Rodgers is playing uh, last year, if he doesn't maybe beat them twice, potentially. Um, so you never know how that's going to go. Uh, before I let you go, Robert, this has been awesome. Um, what's the other, what's the team that comes to mind, other than the Bears, for you, that you just have no idea what their season is going to turn out to be? I feel like that way with Detroit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like they're so volatile every year. I know they usually end up being in the same place, but think about just those games that they play. So many fourth quarter comebacks. Their defenses have been absolutely trash, you know, very recently. Mm-hmm. Like some of the worst in the league. But they really went out and they had a cohesive plan in what they wanted to do in the offseason. And they went out and got another interior lineman. They went out and got a running back. It just feels like they're trying to shore up the parts of their roster that really need it. So is this the year where their offense actually is like a top eight group and isn't just born of, you know, trumped up passing statistics because they don't run the ball and Mm -hmm. they're down every game. So that's the thing. I mean, Detroit's offense, you always think, well, you know, Stafford throws for 4,300 yards and, you know, how many touchdowns every, but they're not a very efficient group most seasons. So is this the year where that kind of flips a little bit? Can they put up big passing numbers while being an actually efficient offense? And is the defense going to be good enough to where they can maybe break through a little bit? So they're a team that I feel like is a kind of interesting. And with the other two teams in the division, it's like, I don't, I know what they are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. <laughs> I know yep. what Minnesota is. I know what the Packers are. And the Packers are a team that probably should be a little bit better, but their quarterback is an, a mythical creature, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and the Vikings are the most complete team in that division by far. It's just, you know, there are certain issues with the Vikings that I'm starting to think about. Just, you know, guys that, do they have the depth necessarily? This is a small thing, but losing a guy like Tom Johnson is very indicative of where teams are. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Sheldon Richardson comes in, but it's when you, guys like that have to walk because you can't afford them on the fringes anymore, that teams slowly start to lose the depth that made them really good. And I think that that's kind of the moves, and those are the realities that are going to start hitting the Vikings right now. So if they aren't as healthy as they were last year, which they were remarkably healthy, is it going to be a little bit of a fall-off? And that's the problem, is that it's hard to predict those things sometimes. I'm glad you brought up Tom Johnson, one of my favorite people of all time to cover. You could go to Tom Johnson and be like, so, like, tell me all about your run strategy or something, whatever it was, anything, like, technical, and he would spend 10 minutes giving you all the details of his entire job and everyone's job. It was the best. And no one ever talked to him because he was just, like, they have so many stars. So it would be like, okay, everyone's talking to Everson Griffin or Harrison Smith, and you just walk over to Tom Johnson and he will tell you so much about football. It was great. He's a brilliant guy. Um, 
for me, I'm sure Sheldon Richardson will be the same thing for you. Uh, a little different already with Sheldon Richardson. Yeah, yeah, I, a I'm little more, a little more standoffish. Um, have, <laughs> I have not asked him about driving in Minnesota. You might have noticed this when you visited last year. Driving in Minnesota versus driving in other places is very different because people like go the speed limit. So if Sheldon Richardson wants to go 100, it's going to be hard for him. That's fair. I don't drive, so that's uh, oh. that's, that'd be a little difficult. I I'm a I'm a backseat passenger for most of my work trips, but well, maybe Ubering then you you may have. Yeah, noticed. there you but go. There you I go. I can it's, tell it's you, it's harder to notice there. I will right. be driving up there this year. I'm getting my driver's license in like two weeks. So wow, you've I, gone this whole time without a driver's days. license? No driver's license. That's amazing. I've had a driver's license for like two and a half years. Wow, how about that? Yeah, when I got back from LA, I just was like, you know what? Nope. I had to take the test again, and I live in Chicago. It's like I don't drive anymore. I've decided. I was but, uh, when I moved the to Minnesota. Camp this year would be a little tough without it, so it's it's time to get back in the game. That's true. When I moved, I couldn't believe I had to take a test again. It's like, are you serious? Like, yeah, I was. I was not going to do it. It was just one of those things. I need my own car. It was. I showed up at the DMV and to do it, and I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And they're like, did you bring a car? I was like, I don't have a car. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't have a car? So as soon as that happened, I was like, you know what? I don't need this. Oh, really you, had don't. To, you had to take a driving test. I only had to take a written test. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I, I had no idea. So you, you would have had to have parallel parked? Yeah, I can do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I but that's really park. funny because you're a grown-up. Yeah, I, I trust me. I know. Well, <laughs> the, the DMV, my age might say that I am, but I don't think the DMV is wrong and making me prove myself again. Yeah, maybe that's true. Well, uh, Robert, this is great. I hope we can uh, catch up again sooner. You make, you're making it up here for training camp. I will be there, I think, on the last day of training camp. I think there's the ninth. Before they uh, they break for uh, they go back to their normal schedule or something like that, but I believe I will be up there on August 9th. It's a tentative plan right now. All right, beautiful. Well, I look forward to your work all football season and the rest of the off season long. You do great stuff for the Ringer. At uh, Robert Mays is your Twitter if people want to follow him and look forward Please. to look forward to seeing you again up here, man. Sounds good. I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. All right, and thank you all for listening to this episode of the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.